Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer, I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that I was in digital. I know how hard it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital so this podcast will hopefully help you by giving you a summary of the past week's news and I also discuss key topics in the industry. Thanks as always for everyone who has downloaded it. Can't believe we're on episode 16 already. Uh, Do make sure you subscribe on iTunes, leave a review. Thanks again for sending feedback. I want this to be your podcast, so please do tweet at LTD or email kate at katehamer.com with any feedback, questions or topics you would like me to cover. This week I'm going to be talking about the latest digital news including Facebook's miscalculation of average duration of video viewed and what that means uh, for advertising, some new services from Facebook, video on Twitter, the made by Google hardware launch, some Pinterest news and also quite a few things from brands uh, especially around influencer marketing so quite a lot of news to get through this week so there isn't going to be a beginner's guide segment at the end of the podcast so let's get cracking starting as always with social media there was an interesting tweet from social bakers that was talking about top socially devoted brands at a global level ASOS is the top one for the UK coming in at fifth with 83.4% response rate in terms of the amount of messages they get and how they reply to them and EE and Virgin Media are also in the top 10 so I've embedded the tweet onto the companion page on katehamer.com you can have a look at all the brands on there. On to Facebook So first topic on Facebook is about this miscalculation that they'd done on the average duration of video viewed, which was the metric that showed advertisers how long a video is watched on the site. There've been rumblings about this since August, but it's blown up into more of a conversation in the last couple of weeks. So basically what they'd done was they'd taken the total number of seconds that a video was watched and divided it by the total number of viewers, which you would think made sense, but a viewer under Facebook's definition has to have watched the video for three seconds to qualify as a viewer. So that meant that because they looked at every second that a video was watched by anyone, but then divided it by a much smaller number of viewers because they all exceeded three seconds, it meant that they inflated the average viewing length by up to 80%. So they've admitted to this mistake, it's been happening for about two years, uh, but it has started to raise more questions in the industry about both Facebook and Google and the fact that they're just using their own metrics and analytics and not necessarily working with any independent third parties. Obviously, when you look at things like TV advertising, um, there's measures that are uniform across the board, which means that you can compare apples with apples, but not so in the digital world. And it hasn't helped that rather than fix the broken statistics, they've actually replaced it with two new measures. So now video average watch time and video percentage watched. So the Association of National Advertisers in the US 
has called for Facebook to have its metrics audited and accredited by the Media Rating Council. And there's quite a lot of discussion around that. So definitely when you're doing campaigns, just be thinking about where the metrics are coming from. Facebook's argument is it's obviously not had an impact on billing because they don't charge people on that metric, but it might have encouraged advertisers to invest more money into Facebook advertising based on the amount of time they thought people were spending on the platform. And that's the argument from the advertising industry in terms of why it's not fair. Facebook are going to be launching a TV ad to promote Facebook Live to its 1.7 billion users. So obviously they've got a lot of public figures and publishers that are using Facebook Live, but they want to get more ordinary, if there is such a thing as ordinary users, to use the live streaming. So there's going to be a TV campaign that will incorporate clips of live videos posted by users to explain how the feature works. And they don't often advertise on TV, so uh, we'll see what sort of uplift that drives. Couple of new elements to Facebook this week. So firstly, they're launching a standalone app for events. So it's a social media driven calendar that records events tied to the pages that you like, as well as ones that your friends are interested in attending. Quite interesting because obviously they separated out Messenger into a standalone service and now separating out events. I think they're probably hoping that that can become the calendar that people will use on their phone. It can pull in entries that are already on your phone and in terms of monetization, I imagine it could be quite interesting for advertisers to be notifying people, for example, if there are special promotions or pop-up sales and that kind of thing. So look out for that. And then Facebook has also launched a marketplace feature so that people can buy and sell items locally. So it's debuting in the US, UK, Australia and New Zealand, they've said in their blog post. I can't see it on my app at the moment, but it will apparently add a marketplace option to the bottom of the main app, as well as they're talking about launching a smartphone app for it and then a desktop version in the current months. So they have said, their director of product management, Mary Koo, has said, in recent years, more people have been using Facebook to connect in another way, buying and selling with each other. This activity started in Facebook groups and has grown substantially. More than 450 million people visit buy and sell groups each month. Facebook isn't going to be involved in the payment process. It's not charging people to put items up for sale at the moment. Their shares traded marginally higher on Monday in the US when they announced it, and eBay's shares fell by more than 1%. But whether they'll end up being a true rival for a site like eBay remains to be seen. Instagram, no real developments for Instagram this week. I just read an interesting article about Fox News and how they have benefited from Instagram extending the video length to 60 seconds. So they've seen a huge increase in user engagement. In September, they drove nearly 3 million user comments, likes and regrams versus 900,000 in January. And that leap of 200% has outpaced the growth of other news publishers like Business Insider, Washington Post and BuzzFeed. Their interactions are outstripping people like the New York Times, BBC and CNN. So they're finding that by going from 15 seconds to 60 seconds, they can post a lot more content. 
They posted just 10 video clips in January and in the last month they've uploaded 89. So they're definitely using it much more. And they're also saying, obviously, the election at the moment is really helping with their numbers, but they are putting all kinds of different content on their channel. So have a look at the Fox News channels on Instagram. Snap Inc., which is the new overall parent company for Snapchat, is considering a 2017 initial public offering that would value the brand at $25 billion. So the IPO could happen as soon as March and it could represent the biggest IPO since Alibaba's $168 billion in 2014. Less than a year ago, Snapchat was valued at around $19 billion. So it brings up some questions about how you can actually value these sort of companies. But they have made a lot of progress in terms of the monetization of the platform. So they'll pull in a billion dollars of ad revenue by the close of 2017, which is a 151% increase from this year's projections. And if you look back to only last year, they drove about $60 million in revenue. Could show some signs of life in terms of the tech IPO market. Because in 2016, only 19 tech companies have gone public and they collectively were valued at $3.3 billion. So if Snap Inc goes for $25 billion, then that could pave the way for some other companies. Also on Snapchat, there are rumours of a development that looks like it's been rolled out to some Android users over the weekend and will reach iOS and Android over the coming weeks and that is to be able to create a playlist of people whose stories you want to see so rather than sifting through posts to find the friends that you want to look at you can create a playlist and it will mean that some of the publisher pages will be demoted in people's feeds so discover pages will still be accessible but they'll be to the right of stories in the feed. Permanent playlists can't be made yet though, so if you want to watch videos from the same people every day, you have to create the playlist each day by the sounds of it. And snap ads are also gonna be weaved into story playlists. And there's also a new ad placement for those who decide to just watch one story at a time, which could sit at the end. Facebook Messenger are launching a standalone version of the Messenger app called Messenger Lite which is specifically designed for older Android devices with limited storage and for slower data constrained internet connections. Previously, they have done a Facebook Lite version of the app as well, which focused more on basic text content and low res imagery so that the app only takes up one megabyte. This app's gonna take up 10 megabytes it's interesting that they talk about it's just the core experiences, which is messaging, sending and receiving photos and links and receiving stickers. Apparently stickers are not just a nice to have. Facebook wants to make sure that everyone has got that. Just the no frills Facebook app has got 100 million monthly actives nine months after launch. So they're expecting quite a lot of users on this. And it's gonna roll out to start off with to Kenya, Tunisia, Malaysia, Sri Lanka and Venezuela and then there'll be other countries coming. I think it's following in the footsteps of Line, who introduced Line Lite as a small, a stripped down Android app to try and win users in emerging markets. WhatsApp, again, not really any news from them this week, but I saw someone who'd been at an event 
was talking about charities and how they could use WhatsApp. So one in five minutes in the UK is spent on WhatsApp and charities are seeing this work well in terms of encouraging donations. They see it as the next highest conversion rate after email to potential donors. I've embedded that slide on the companion page if you want to have a look at that. On to Twitter. Twitter moments turned one last week. So happy birthday, Twitter moments. Still conversations going on about the Twitter takeover and rumour has it that they want to conclude any negotiations about selling before they report third quarter earnings on October the 27th. So quite a tight timeline. Still conversations going on about Salesforce Google's parent Alphabet and Walt Disney Company in terms of who might acquire it. And then I read an interesting article on ClickZ, although I imagine it's probably called ClickZ this week, which was talking about obviously there's a lot of focus on Facebook and Snapchat for video, but that Twitter shouldn't be forgotten as a platform for video. And that there are lots of enhancements that have happened this year, like pre-roll advertising and first view to have the top advertising spot in a user's feed to make it interesting as a ad platform for brands. So in terms of growth, Twitter ads playbook says that there was a 220 times video growth in the last 12 months in the platform. 93% of video views on Twitter are mobile. So primarily being watched through a smartphone, you wanna make sure that you're optimizing your video content for mobile. Videos are six times more likely to be retweeted than photos and three times more likely than GIFs. And the Twitter ads playbook again says that almost half the users that were part of their research could recall video ads even after one second of viewing. So it's really important to make sure you're getting your brand in your video right from the start. And The secret to successful video content on Twitter is to include a sequential resolution or have a flow for the content from setting up a problem to solving it towards the end. So it's been reported that 48% of the videos that are watched until their completion were all including a sequential resolution. So when you're thinking about the content of your videos, think about that. Promoted videos are a good way to increase favorability of your brand by up to 18%. And in terms of time spent with video, a study by IPG Media Lab and Twitter said that the average user watches 5.9 seconds of in-feed autoplay video. So again, you need to be thinking of it like the kind of true view ads where you don't want people to skip. You wanna be making sure that you're capturing people's attention right from the start. Using it for live events, a video around a live event can increase brand favorability by 63% apparently. I'm not sure how much of that might actually be the content of the event rather than the video itself. You can increase users purchase intent by 9%. So you wanna again make sure that you're using your logo so that people are clear who the video is from. So the full article from ClickZ is on the companion page at katehamer.com. Just one thing on Periscope, they are running a beta at the moment where you can use a proper camera uh, and feed Periscope into that and actually overlay graphics. I'm gonna be testing that with one of my clients soon 
but you can check out an example on the companion page at the moment. I've embedded a tweet there, so have a look at that. But that obviously opens up a whole world of possibility in terms of the way that people can use Periscope to broadcast. On to Pinterest. So I think I talked on podcasts back in the summer about some promoted video formats that were being introduced onto the platform that were just with exclusive brand partners in the US. Starting this week, they're now available to all businesses in the UK. And Hunter, the Wellington boot brand, are one of the first to use this type of promotion. So it'll display on users' feeds. So the Hunter campaign is talking about their core product and celebrating how it can be used in the rain. And the good thing about that is that it's a constant collection so it doesn't matter whether people are discovering those core pins today or in two years time they know that that product is always going to be relevant because it's their heritage brand and that's definitely something to think about on Pinterest in terms of the way that you want your content on there it sometimes takes longer for things to be discovered on there than the instant social platforms like Twitter and Instagram so you want to be thinking about the lifetime of the content that you're putting on there. So Pinterest has got 100 million users worldwide and it's obviously looking at lots of different advertising options such as promoted pin units and it we talked on here before about its own campaigns to raise awareness of the platform that it's been doing over the summer. So they claim that 75% of all content consumed on Pinterest comes from businesses and that 67% of users say videos on Pinterest inspire them to take action. I've embedded the Hunter video on the companion page, so have a look at that. Just a little thing on Apple. Obviously, we talked about the iOS 10 update a few weeks ago. One thing that I've had a couple of conversations with people about this week is the unsubscribe option that now shows at the top of emails in the email client within iOS 10. Uh, so it's a really easy way to unsubscribe from emails now. Obviously, that might be a worry for some brands in terms of they're suddenly going to lose subscribers. But actually, I think it's quite positive because firstly, it means that people aren't going to flag your content as spam, which could impact on the deliverability of your emails to other customers. And secondly, if people want to leave, then you're better to make it as easy an experience as possible. And um, having that option right at the top of the email does mean that they can quickly remove themselves from the feed. I think if you've got family of business opt-ins, you might need to think about what that means for you because one type of email could end up meaning that people are unsubscribing from your entire database and stopping all of your different parts of your business contacting them. Amazon are tightening controls on incentivized reviews. So they used to allow reviews when new products were being launched on there. If someone had been given a free product, for example, as long as they disclosed whether they'd been given a discount or a free product within the review, it was fine for them to be on there. But now Amazon's gonna take over the management of this through Amazon Vine, which introduced about 10 years ago, which is their review program. So they select customers conducting the reviews on promotional products. There's no direct link to the sellers. You don't have to leave a positive review, 
books aren't going to be part of this new policy. Uh, but Amazon identifies and invites trusted and helpful reviewers on Amazon to post opinions about new and pre-released products. They don't incentivize positive ratings or attempt to influence the content of reviews and they limit the total number of reviews that they display for each product. Should make it more trustworthy as a website and really control who is saying what they have filed lawsuits against more than 1,000 unidentified people offering to write fake product reviews in exchange for payment, as well as sites that sold fake reviews. And one other thing on Amazon is that they have done an Alexa Moments campaign. So people are using the new Amazon Echo in lots of different ways, and they've created more than 100 10-second spots with funny questions or requests of Alexa. So they're using them in contextual and targeted digital TV and social placements. I've put a link to the playlist of some of them on the companion page. On to Google. Few things from last week. They obviously had their Made by Google event on the 4th. So just before that, they announced that they had hired Amazon's David Foster as the new vice president of product engineering in the hardware division. So he'll be responsible for developing their next line of smartphones. At Amazon, he was working on things like Kindle Paperwhite, Kindle Fire, Echo and Dash products, which were all born out of their experimental lab division. Made by Google, the event, they announced a few different things. So the Pixel and the Pixel XL, which are their new smartphones, apparently the best camera ever made, superior even to the iPhone 7 Plus camera. So 12 mega megapixel camera and to entice you to shoot more you've got free unlimited storage on google photos in original quality and then an eight megapixel camera front facing and they come out of the box with android nougat 7.1 they also showed daydream which is their vr viewer virtual reality viewer and it's fabric lined and 30 percent lighter than typical headsets available in three different colors and it fits over eyeglasses. I guess they mean spectacles. So Pixel is the first daydream ready phone, but they're also partnering with Samsung, HTC, Alcatel, LG and various other manufacturers to provide a stellar mobile VR experience no matter which device you choose. And they've got cool games on there, but they're also partnering with people like Netflix, HBO, The New York Times and Hulu. So the Daydream View and Controller are coming in November. Chromecast Ultra, which I talked about in last week's pod. So a hockey puck shaped device and it's 1.8 times faster than previous versions and offers improved Wi-Fi performance. Then they also talked about Google Home, which is like Amazon Echo, powered by Google Assistant. So it can handle simple queries, controlling music, adjusting connected devices, but it also supports a lot of Google options such as Cast for video viewing, Chromecast audio, and it's contextually aware. So rather than telling the device you want to listen to music on Spotify, for example, if that's your most chosen streaming service, then Google Home will learn that that's where you typically listen. And it will also connect to devices such as Nest, Samsung SmartThings and Philips. As well as operating the device with your voice, you can also operate it with a smartphone or a tablet. And Netflix is on board to support voice casting 
will soon allow you to completely control playback with nothing more than your voice. So you can add multiple Google Home devices in the house to allow for the whole house audio or you can pick and choose certain rooms and with the Chromecast you can also extend the voice control to higher end speakers and home entertainment systems. Comes in a range of colours, so not just the black and white of Amazon Echo, you've got mango, marine, violet, carbon, snow and copper and that is going to be released in November as well. And then they also talked about Google Wi-Fi, which is like the sort of hockey puck Amazon Echo dot size, and it allows users to extend the range over an entire house. It's the first Google router to make use of mesh networking. It allows users to connect multiple access points as a single large network. So that means you won't have any Wi-Fi dead zones in the house anymore. And that again will be launched in November. So in terms of Google Assistant, lots of new things come in there. Beyond featuring in Allo and Home, it's gonna be an open platform that developers can build functionality for and also integrate the service into their own products. So you'll be able to find information about local businesses, search YouTube for videos, surface content and through all of that it's going to support two kinds of actions so direct actions which allow it to accommodate simple requests like turn off the lights and then conversation actions which require a bit more backwards and forwards between the user and the system so the example they gave was booking an uber to go to a specific destination so that means that there's a, a whole endless list of possibilities for developers to build actions for their own services and they're also looking at natural language interactions built by developers using the API.ai, which can be converted into actions for assistant. So the goal is to have these work in every way you find a device running Google services and to reduce the need to have specific apps installed to make those actions happen. One funny thing that I uh, read from the whole made by Google announcement was that because they kept using OK Google on the stage to demonstrate how things worked, it was actually triggering not just people in the audience's phones, but also people that were watching online's phones and was getting a bit messy, but I thought that was quite entertaining that everyone's phones were being activated. And then one other thing for Google is that they are branching into retail. So they're opening a made by Google store in New York on the 20th of October, be located at 96 Spring Street in Lower Manhattan. So it's gonna be a pop-up shop that will show all of the new hardware devices. Obviously, if people are gonna to want to invest in all of these, they wanna be able to have a play with them. So they have done shops in the past that haven't necessarily been that successful. And it sounds like they're just starting with one here, but Again, I will see how that goes and see if they end up rolling it out anywhere else. Few super quick things on brands. So Unilad are getting into the sports broadcasting game. So the British Association of Mixed Martial Arts, they've done a deal with them to show the British Mixed Martial Arts League live on Facebook streamed. So again, this is following obviously in footsteps of Twitter doing various deals with people like the NFL. But Unilad is saying they're confident of getting big numbers, quoting examples of things like Wayne Rooney's testimonial match at Man United that was streamed on Facebook Live and had 4.5 million views. 
and Unilad streamed in July the Homeless Football World Cup, which was a charity match between homeless players. And in 2015, they had 6,000 views of that tournament and they streamed the tournament roughly four videos at 15 minutes each and got half a million views this year. So definitely a huge growth in terms of views that they're seeing on social platforms for sports content. Staying on sports content, there is a company called Live Like, which is a startup that can do virtual reality broadcasts of sports events. They've just done a test with Fox of a college football game on a Saturday night between Ohio State and Oklahoma using either Gear VR or Google Cardboard headsets or just smartphones and iPads. People were able to use this virtual reality app to watch the game and so they could look from multiple viewpoints around the stadium, pull up rosters, in-game matchup details or they could turn and watch the main broadcast which looked like it was on the building's big screen. I've put a link to the full article on the Forbes website about that. They've been doing some tests airing Premier League games, Roland Garros and El Clasico in Spain as well. But they had about 37,000 people tuning in for this experience for the Ohio State and Oklahoma game. So they're expecting that this is going to become something more common in sports viewing as well. A few things not to do. So Southern Rail, again, I've embedded this tweet on the companion page, but they did a tweet asking their customers to contact the RMT about the proposed strike and it really backlashed against them because customers all started contacting them saying yep we fully support the train staff uh, in this strike and uh, it just left them open to a load of abuse so make sure if you're going to do that sort of stuff that you're confident you've got people on side. West Ham also have had a couple of run-ins like that from their social account in the last couple of weeks where they've tried to get involved in platform events like World Smile Day and National Poetry Day and at a time where the club's not doing that well they've been knocked out of the Europa League there's still a lot of complaints about the new stadium fans are not happy when they try to just be jovial so bear in mind the overall context when you're trying to get involved in stuff that's happening in general on the platform. Read an interesting thing about Uber Eats this week where it's costing them quite a lot of money because people have discovered a bit of a loophole whereby you can order something quite inexpensive like a bottle of coke and then when it's delivered you complain about the quality of the delivery and you can get a coupon code worth up to $30 and some people have been gaming the system to the tune of $600. So it's not quite working for Uber Eats at the moment in the US. And then a couple of things from a influencer perspective. Casey Neistat, who is a vlogger, filmmaker, and a founder of a technology company, had booked to fly with Emirates and from I think New York to Dubai and Emirates had spotted his booking and decided to upgrade him to first class and he made a video called the $21,000 first class airplane seat stressed that he hadn't been paid for it he was just impressed that he'd been upgraded but he's had over 20 million views which is it's nearly his most popular video to date and he's videoed each of the different aspects of the flight now, obviously, his audience is quite a young demographic, 
so they're not necessarily going to be able to afford to fly first class but it's inspired that audience and introduced a whole new chunk of people to emirates it also got them coverage in gq maxim adweek mashable huffington post etc so it was a really good thing for them to do it won't have cost them a huge amount in terms of upgrading him and i think it's just a really good example of being aware of what's happening on the platforms and what sort of things people are talking about and looking at how your brand can get involved Bose and Gillette also saw those videos and then contacted him. So Gillette sent him like a set of shaving stuff because he'd nicked himself when he was shaving in the video that he'd put up. So it's really important to be aware of what's happening. I'll put a link on the companion page to an article that I talked about the World Cup of Chocolate that Richard Osman did and how surprised I was that none of the chocolate brands had noticed that or got involved. I think that can sometimes happen when you've got an intern or someone responsible for social media and they're not necessarily on it over the weekend or thinking in a strategic way about your brand. So great thing that they did there. There's also a campaign happening in the US at the moment, hashtag vote your future, where they've got over a hundred influential people to encourage people to vote. So Julia Roberts, Zach Braff, and Hathaway. Again, I've put a link to that on the companion page and check it out, but a good way to use people that are perhaps gonna cut through and get more of a message than politicians. It's, it's not political in terms of saying to vote for one or the other, but it is a good way to get people to vote. Another interesting campaign that I saw this week was Addict Aid, hashtag like my addiction. Basically, there was an Instagram account called Louise Delage, who looked like a 25-year-old from Paris, posting lots of pictures of herself, getting lots of likes, 66,000 followers in just over a month, getting up to as many as 50 likes per day, but it wasn't actually a real person. It was a campaign by Addict Aid, which aims to raise awareness about alcoholism among young people. So when you look back at all the posts, you start to see that almost every picture, she's enjoying a drink. And it's a way to show how difficult it is that even people that you see every day, you might never suspect that they're an addict. So great use of Instagram. I've embedded the video that they did at the end of the campaign onto the companion page. Bloomberg have done well. They have acquired at Brexit as a handle on Twitter and that's going to be the page that they use to look at uh, Brexit from Europe. Uh, they've done quite well in the past getting other handles such as at business, at markets, at technology. So have a look at that and follow it. There was a good example of getting a hashtag well known on Twitter from Bet365 with their hashtag in play with Ray, where they combined a trending topic with a moment. And they've also got a little emoji at the end of their tweet to get everyone using it. Again, that's embedded on the companion page. Sweet brands in the US are having a tough time this election. So obviously last week or the week before it was Skittles. This week, Tic Tac have come out on Twitter saying that they find recent statements and behavior completely inappropriate and unacceptable. So again, that tweet is embedded. And finally, if you're looking for something new to watch, Netflix is launching a new series called Haters Back Off, which stars Miranda Sings, who is a YouTube star, but she's playing a fictional YouTube star in this who is delusional and believes she's got what it takes to make it in show business. Sounds like it might be quite entertaining from a digital and marketing perspective. 
So have a look at that. That is your whistle stop update of all the news from last week. Told you it was a bit long, sorry. Let me know if you think this has been too long. Tweet me at LTD or email kate at katehamer.com. I will be back next week. Have a great one.